What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104.6 and 1 podcast. I would like to start this episode by saying I am your host, but I am merely a shell of, of what I was last week. In a matter of a week's time, my heart has been broken several times in the realm of sports. Um, everything bad that could have happened this weekend with all of my major sporting teams that played and participated, happened. The Yankees lost the series to the Rays. The Florida Gators lost to Texas A&M. And the Indianapolis Colts lost to the Cleveland Browns. Now, I know I'm sounding like I just lost a family member, God forbid, but good Lord, the trifecta happened, the worst of the worst happened, and it, it, it good, I just... There are no words. The Yankees absolutely, completely, and utterly folded in games two, three. Thankfully, we came back in four, but that was obviously to no avail. And game five, we just did not perform. The Yankees lost a series three to two to the Tampa Bay Rays, who are currently playing the Houston Astros, and I believe are also up two to zero on the Houston Astros. I don't give a shit who comes out of the AL. I just hope whoever comes out of the NL beats both of them, if possible. <laughs> but a lot of the Yankees' issues start, in my personal opinion, of course, as all my episodes start off with my personal opinion here. The Yankees lost because their front office got too involved. The Yankees lost because Aaron Boone is a shit manager. The Yankees also did not come to play in games 2, 3, and 5, but... I, it, It's really hard to pinpoint where they went wrong aside from hitting, like pure hitting. Yes, our pitching wasn't the best, but we found ways to keep ourselves within reach of certain games. And it just, it didn't happen. Garrett Cole pitched twice in the series. Garrett Cole got a win, obviously, the first game, 9-3. to three. The second game, he came in and he did what he needed to do. Or, you know, he tried his best, should I say. He didn't have it going a little early, but, I mean, he did what he felt. Not what he felt. He did what he needed to do. Pitched five and a quarter inning. Had nine strikeouts. Yeah, he had two walks. Yeah, he had an earned run. But realistically, the Yankees allowed three hits in the game. That's it. And we lost the game 2-1. to one. So our, it wasn't our pitching. It was genuinely from the bottom of our hearts. It was the fact that our team could not hit. DJ LeMayhew, 0 for 4. Aaron Judge, 1 for 3. Hicks, 1 for 4. Stanton, 0 for 3. Voight, 0 for 3. Urshela, 0 for 4. Torres, I mean, it, it just, it keeps going. It keeps going. None of our players felt like hitting, and of course our manager felt the need to go out there and just make terrible substitutions. Let's start off with game five and work our way back. Araldis Chapman comes in in the seventh. After Zach Britton comes in in around the at, in the fifth to relieve Cole because Cole no in the sixth because Cole pitched five and one third inning. So he, Britton came in in the sixth, did what he needed to do, didn't let up a run, 
came in and got the batters out that he needed to. Chappie comes in in the seventh inning. Explain to me why a former All-Star, a pitcher that is known for his high-speed pitching, a closer, arguably our best bullpen reliever, some would say not even, some would disagree with that because in the last two postseasons, Araldis Chapman led off two game-winning home runs to the opposing team for us to lose the game. Obviously, Jose Altuve's in the ALCS last year. <laughs> Some would say, if not everybody would say, they cheated and knew it was coming. But once again, the end result regardless is Araldis Chapman gives up a home run, gives up the long ball to lose the game. Um... It's really hard. Like it's like, mind you, I have my script here in front of me. I have my statistics in front of me. I've been preparing for this episode since the Yankees lost last week, and I just my mind cannot wrap my head around. Or I can't wrap my head around the fact that the Yankees lost this game. Aaron Boone needs to really figure out what it is he's doing because we are genuinely fucking ourselves from the potential this team has. We're not getting any younger. Hitters' primes are only going to get further and further off, and we are just wasting talent, in my opinion. We have pinch hit. We we not we have we had pinch hit Mike Ford twice instead of Clint Frazier, one of our best hitters, and has proven himself throughout the entire season and his entire career of coming up and down in the system that he can produce offense when needed. His first hit in the postseason was a no doubter to left field. And what does Boone do? Sure, he didn't hit very well right after that, but you didn't even give him the opportunity. You inserted Gardner, and Gardner had a good average in the series. Gardner definitely wasn't the problem. Brett Gardner is one of my favorite Yankees of all time. It's in, in my lifetime, should I say, not of all time. Brett Gardner's average in this series was 364. It def- definitely was not Brett Gardner's fault. So when I tell you... I wasn't mad at the fact that Brett was playing. I was mad that Boone chose to pinch hit Mike Ford over Clint Frazier. So I'm just I'm just trying to understand where his mind was. I'm trying to understand where he was coming from to help us win a game. Because it sure as hell wasn't in the series. Let me give you a little let me let me give you a little recap because I know I just started in game five. At the end of the day, we didn't hit. We lost a close one, a nail biter. Chapman gives up the home run to what the hell is this kid's name? Mike Brassau or whatever. What what is your name, dude? It doesn't even matter. Yeah, Mike Brassau, Mike Brassau, the one that uh, Chappie beamed earlier in the season that started that benches clearing all out issue earlier in the year. Yeah, he got the last lap and he had a fucking no doubter. Apparently, um. Gary was calling for a slider, and then Chappie goes and throws a fastball inside, and then he takes it. And I mean, he takes it and sends it, and there's the game. But nevertheless, game two, right? The Yankees are up one nothing. We have a rookie coming into the mound. We have a rookie coming into a playoff situation, his first ever postseason game. One inning pitched, one home run allowed, pulls him for J.A. Happ. He pulls the rookie for J.A. Happ. Mind you, this start was supposed to be a split start. And for those of you that are unaware, a split start means you're on a, an inning limit. Depending on how well you do within your first couple of innings, we're going to split that with another starting pitcher and then bullpen the rest. Right? No, that's not what happened. 
the analytics department got into it and said, we should pull Devi. It doesn't seem like he's trending in the right direction. Devi Garcia, for those of you that are unaware, our 21-year-old rookie that came into the season, did pre- pretty decent. Nothing too high, nothing too bad, but you know, just something to throw into the rotation with our lack of starting pitching. And Tanaka going into game three. So we thought, let's put the rookie in. If he does to, if he does decently bad, let's pull him. Let's put in the vet and Jay with the lefty, with the off-speed pitch. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what happened. What happened was Boone pulled him after one, and then J.A. got rocked, and we lost that game. Just terrible decisions. Terrible, terrible instances of what needed to happen and what did not. I I I I don't know what to say. Like it's so frustrating. It's so indescribable because it, <clears throat> excuse me, this team has so much talent. I just want to throw out there for all of you that were Gary Sanchez supporters, I've been calling this scrub being a scrub for the last two seasons. He batted zero in the postseason this year. Zero. Zero. Gary Sanchez batted triple zeros. Complete and utter ass. Garbage. Terrible. Horrible for those of you that only speak Spanish. Like, I've had enough. I'm up to here. Either we trade him or we let him go because he is not necessary on this roster. Kyle Hashigoka showed this entire postseason that he's a better overall catcher and he's a better hitter. I'm sorry and I don't care. I've said it a hundred times on multiple occasions on different episodes where Gary Sanchez gives me a home run once every 10 days and he'll strike out 17 times in between those 10 days and everybody forgets that Gary is terrible because he hits one 463-foot moonshot when it's either completely irrelevant or when we're behind. And magically, everybody forgets that he's trash. No, no, no. You're you're trash, and I don't want you on my team anymore. Period. We can find a backup catcher somewhere else. We can use somebody else in the farm system. I don't want Gary Sanchez on my team. Like, you are completely useless. There's nothing that you do that is good. I'm sorry. You used to be useful for a, you know, a clutch hit here and again. Back in 2017, you were, you were somewhat decent. For, you know, maybe a, a couple of home runs in a season, but you were also known for getting hurt. You were known for pass balls. You were known for miscommunication on your pitching or your pitches that you called. It, it, I've had it. I'm done. Ja, enough. Get off my team. That's all I'm going to say on Gary Sanchez. He's terrible. Sliding into Gio Urshela. Gio had an amazing two-game series against the Indians. The clutch grand slam. Whatever have you. Our savior, our hero that series. Gio Urshela did not show up. He was batting 105. No idea where he went. Luke Voigt batting 111. Our AL home run leading hitter. No idea where you were. Giancarlo Stanton cannot be mad at you whatsoever. Six home runs in five games. Papa, you keep doing what you got to do. Unfortunately, you've been hurt for the majority of the year, but this postseason, can't be mad at you. Batted 316 this postseason. Aaron Hicks, base hits when we needed him. Got on base, walked, great discipline at the plate. 389. Aaron Judge, arguably our best player, our franchise, the face of the MLB. 143. Kid, where the fuck were you? Because you weren't in this series. You weren't in this postseason. You hit two home runs in this postseason or three home runs. I, 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 I'm, where were you? Your head wasn't there. You were swinging at garbage. You were locked up in certain pitches. You couldn't put the ball in play. I don't even understand. DJ LeMahieu, it looks like you batted great, but you didn't. You would have a base hit at the tail end of every game, which would boost your average up to 273 because that's what it was. Garbage. The, bat, the AL batting title winner. A competitor for the AL MVP because of the numbers that he was putting up consistently at the leadoff position. 
273, you were 0 for 4 when we needed you most. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know if you got in your own head. I don't know if the playoff pressure got to you. I, I don't. I have no concept of what went through any of these players' heads. But nobody showed up. Our best hitters, aside from Jarcarlo Stanton, did not show up at all. The people that roasted Brett Gardner, again, he batted 364 in this series in five games. That is better than everybody on the team except for Aaron Hicks. So before you bash Brett, before you tell me that he's old and he has a weak arm in left field, yes, we're very well aware. Did he have any errors in left field this series? Absolutely not. Did he cost us the game? No. He batted consistently. He was consistent in the series. And then everyone's like, Glaber did amazing. Did everybody know Glaber's average coming into this series was like 784, obviously, because it was just only two games against the Indians? It dropped all the way down to 313. Glaber had that magical home run in the in game four. Other than that, and the, and the, what was it, like one or two hits in game one, his average fell all the way down to 313. So yes, Glaber got a pass because the statistics say that he batted decent, but throughout the series... Very, very inconsistent. Kyle Hashigoka, 308 in the series, and he single handedly saved our ass on the defensive end. Do you know how many pass balls Gary Sanchez would have had with the amount of in the dirt pitches he had to save our pitching staff from? Does anybody understand how crucial that is in the sport of baseball? How many base runners would have advanced and or scored? I don't think you guys understand how good of a catcher the kid is. And I think that some respect needs to be made because he showed everything that Gary is not and everything that we need. Everybody knows you need at least two good catchers on an MLB roster. So maybe we keep him on the bench and we just, you know, on on Hashigoka's off days, on certain pitching staff days that prefer Gary, maybe. But I don't give him a bag or I trade him and I find somebody else or I farm somebody up because I don't want him on my team. Stanton, like I said, get, tying right back to you. You, you, you tied or almost made history with five home run, or six home runs in five games. If you would have had six home runs in six games, that would have been tied for the MLB record. But nevertheless, you single-handedly kept us relevant in the entire series, especially in games two and three. Because man, oh man, we were just we were asleep. I don't even think we were around. I don't even know if the Yankees were physically there because of how bad their at-bats were. Chasing pitches, freezing up, watching pitches go by. I The Yankees need to figure it out. Like I said, we have too much talent. We have too many studs on this team to let it all go to waste. We could have definitely gone into this Houston series and we could have mopped them up. We were 3 and 0 in our first 3 postseason games and we were just we were just ready. We were going, we were driving, we were moving and we just forgot how to play baseball in the last 4 games. Because man, oh man, I was livid watching this team just step up to the plate and either give me garbage or just be completely and utterly useless. Aaron Boone, get your shit together. Front office, keep out of the game. Let the players play, please. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about percentages. I don't care about expectancies. None of it. Absolutely zero. Let the players play. Let the managers manage. Let them do what they have to do because Lord knows some of these decisions were way more than highly questionable. Some of these decisions were arguably astronomically detrimental to this team's success. 
And obviously, I, I, I don't know if keeping Devi in game two would have helped us or hurt us. I, of course not. Well, I can't predict the future, but it was in question. It Did it throw the Rays managerial team off? Absolutely. But they still rallied and they did what they needed to do and they rocked J.A. Hat. You don't know if Garcia would have settled. You don't know if he would have been able to mow through the order. You have no concept at all. You had numbers, pieces of papers, trajectories, projections, whatever you want to call it. The lotto numbers. And you put it all on J.A. Happ to help us in game two. And that screwed up the momentum. Tanaka didn't have his stuff whatsoever. He found a way to settle a little bit. And then it just it fell apart. And our little comeback at the end of that was a little too late. And then we have this game right here. Garrett Cole did what he needed to do. And obviously, Britton did what he needed to do. Chappie gives up a, 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 whole, a, a solo home run. So it's not massive. It's not something like we couldn't come back from. But our offense just was non-existent. It was non-present. It was absolutely, insanely unnecessary for us to do and perform the way that we did. Unacceptable. As a team, we had 11 strikeouts. As a team. So, that's how I'm leaving that. They should be ashamed of themselves. They did not deserve to win that series. Should we have? Yes. But we did not deserve it. And... We're on to next season. There are rumors, or not even rumors. There's hope that the Yankees could go out and sign Trevor Bauer, a former UCLA teammate of Garrett Coles, somebody who dominated in this league in Cleveland and now in Cincinnati, someone who's got a very, very New New York-style persona, someone who carries himself with confidence, a certain swagger, a little bit of an intensity, hype, like Garrett's. And I can't even say like Garrett because Trevor Bauer is his own person and he's so uniquely gifted, not only at his position, but how he carries himself off the field. I find him to be a very intriguing individual and I think he would mesh very well in the locker room. Throw a bag at him, Cashman. Give him what he wants because we would have Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, and Trevor Bauer as a three-man rotation and that is pretty solid in an MLB postseason. (laughs) Like, that is pretty fucking good. We would need to make it next season, obviously, which I don't know what's going to happen next season considering Aaron Boone's already been told that he's coming back next season with the atrocity that he managed in this postseason. So I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea who's going to be re-signed. I have no idea who's not coming back, unlike these random-ass Twitter followers that the Yankees have that say, due to my sources, like, yo, shout-out to Santino for calling that kid out. People don't know shit. There are absolutely no rumors. There's no speculation. There's nothing. The Yankees have kept everything uptight and sealed, and they are going to continue to do that until next season. So hopefully we hear something as the offseason gets closer. Hopefully we figure things out. Hopefully we find ways to attract talent and, you know, manage our, our budget and our cap room very well. I don't know if Guardy's coming back. I have no concept of Luke Voigt's contract situation. I believe Stanton's on his last year. Judge should be coming up to his last year as well. DJ LeMahieu needs to be re-signed. Gary Sanchez, like I've said a hundred times, I believe his contract should be coming up as well. I don't even know if Clint Frazier was going to want to come back. Shout out to my boy Mike Casada, man. The biggest Clint Frazier fan I know. The biggest advocate for that kid to get talent, burn minutes, at bats, whatever. Every time Clint did good, even when he did bad, always supporting him. So as if I'm Clint Frazier and I'm looking at the Yankees organization, I'm saying to myself... I need to get the fuck out of here. As a fan, do I want him to leave? Absolutely not. Because he's talented. 
But as a player, if I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in that dugout and I'm waiting for my name to be called, my number to be tapped on saying, yo, get in there, try to help us, and you call on big man Mike Ford, what has he done this season that Clint hasn't? What has he done that Clint can't do? Because Mike can only play first base. Is he the best fielder in the world? Not to my knowledge. Is he a better batter than Clint Frazier? No. But you put Mike Ford in over Clint for what purpose? What re- like, I, I just It doesn't make sense. If I'm Clint Frazier, I've had enough of the Yankees organization, I request a trade if I'm under contract, or I look elsewhere to find a job. Because he is a starting left fielder on a lot of other rosters. But we continue to not only play with his emotions, we play with his confidence. You can't play a kid for a certain amount of the season, play him in the postseason, and then pull him. For whatever reason, I don't know if they just wanted a veteran to change up the lineup. I don't know if they just wanted Brett's discipline at the plate. I, I genuinely have no idea. But when you pinch hit certain at certain batters for people that don't belong in certain situations, I just look at that as disrespect. I just look at that as that's unnecessary. It's it's disrespectful, and I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drop it at that point because the Rays clearly. We're ready to kill us. The Rays are just, we couldn't beat them all year. Kudos to them. I don't support them. I don't cheer for them. Like I said, I'm hoping for whatever team comes out of the NL dominates whoever comes out of the AL because I hate them both. But this New York Yankees team, this season was definitely a failure. How hot we started, the slump that we hit, returning from injuries, the positive we had going into that 10-game win streak, ending the season on the note that we did, and then coming out and winning our first three. It just, it was the definition of a roller coaster. Circumstances aside, COVID aside, we failed. The Yankee fans as a whole got to continue to hold our heads high. Title 28 is coming. I feel it. I know it. I know I sound like a broken record. I know every Yankee fan sounds like a broken record. But we are still the New York fucking Yankees, and we are still going to do what we need to do to dominate the the MLB one day. And I feel that it's coming soon. We just we need to put the right pieces together. And if that means getting rid of... Boone, then I think that we need to look into that sooner than later. <laughs> uh, I'm going to skip the Gator game and go right into the Colts game. Um, I lost my voice on Sunday. I absolutely snapped with the play calling of Frank Reich. We lost the game 23-32. to I am over the moon with frustration, and I am disappointed that we lost to a team that did not deserve to win. Cleveland is now 4-1. Cleveland is doing a heck of a job considering they started the season off the way that they did losing to Baltimore, how they lost. But we had that game and we lost that game ourselves. Phillip Rivers, two crucial turnovers, one of them being a pick six later in that game. Frank Reich with just some terrible, horrible, questionable, unnecessary I'm looking for other adjectives, but I can't continue to rattle off mean ones because it's it's just it was it was just awful. There was no reason to call the plays that he did in the situations that there were. I am so tired of seeing running back sweep plays of the back running out of the shotgun for us to throw it into the flat with blockers down. This is not college. This is not college. I don't know what Frank is doing. I've never seen Frank do this. We had a total of 18 rushes, and Phillip Rivers was one of them, and that was on a quarterback scramble, so that counts as a rush, yes. We have Jonathan Taylor 
and one of the league's best offensive lines, and we decided to only run it 18 times. We were fifth in the league in rushing last year. Why the fuck are we almost last? Did we lose Marlon Mack? Yes, we did. But we still have Jonathan Taylor. You traded up to get him in the second, and we barely used the kid. T.Y. Hilton, what the fuck are you doing? This is his first game above 50 yards all season. We have to look at our freaking wide receiver depth. Marcus Johnson is our second leading receiver, and no one knows who that is. I know who it is, but Ashton Doolin, Trey Burton obviously coming off of IR last week, but... Zach Pascal from last season and the season before. Mo Ali Cox, Jack Doyle, zero catches for the two of them. What is Frank, what are you thinking? What goes into your head into these game plans in which our offense just does not perform to its expectancy? We've been hit, unfortunately, with the injury bug, and we've lost a decent amount of offensive weapons. Anthony Costanzo was out. Darius Leonard was out on the defensive side of the ball. Fine. We may do, and we found a way to make this game a six-point game at one point. And what did we do? We absolutely shit the bed. Absolutely shit the bed. I don't understand why we have so much faith in Phillip. I don't understand why he's worth $25 million in certain people's eyes. I don't think that Jacoby Brissett is the answer because obviously he had a full season last year and he couldn't do it. And I don't think that our rookie... Oh my goodness, of course now his name is going to freaking escape my mind as if I have not been keeping up with... Oh, Jacob Eason. He hasn't been dressed all season. So I don't know what's going on. Our best our, our best player, arguably, is our undrafted free agent kicker out of Georgia in Rodrigo Blankenship, who leads the NFL in total points, by the way. So let that be the stat fact, because I've gone away from stat facts for the last couple of episodes. I don't know why, but it's... We kept their best players in check. Baker had 247 with two picks. Jarvis Landry, four catches, 88 yards. He had one massive catch for 32 yards. Odell Beckham, five for 58. Austin Hooper was getting those third down receptions. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we found ways to neutralize where they succeed. Granted, Nick Chubb was also out, so that probably played into a decent amount of the reason why they didn't dominate us as much. They ran it 33 times for a total of 124, but we found a way to keep them contained as well. Their average per rush was only 3.8 yards a carry, so we definitely did our job on, on, on that front as well. But we just also, on the offensive line, they have Miles Garrett, arguably the best defensive end in the entire league, and we had him matched up one-on-one with Levathan Clark for the majority of that game. And if he rotated to the right side, we had him matched up against Braden Smith, one-on-one. There were not a lot of instances where there were chip blocks, tight end help, running back help. It just, it just seemed like Frank thought our guys were better. And Garrett impacted the plays a lot. Miles Garrett was definitely in there making a difference, and he was causing havoc throughout that entire offensive line. He only had one sack. 
He only had four total tackles. But it's the point he put on enough pressure to make his presence feel known. And he was just a pest the entire game. Their pass rush got to us one time that entire game. They only had one sack. So it wasn't like it was anything insane. It wasn't like we were on the floor the entire game. It wasn't like Phillip Rivers couldn't stand up right. But the QB was hit five times. So, you know, they, they, they like I said, they made their presence felt. They made themselves feel very aware. But again, it, our defense solely kept us in this game. We only had one sack also. We had three and a half tackles for a loss. We had two interceptions as well. But we found a way to keep them in front of us. There were no massively big plays anywhere around the field other than that Jarvis Landry 32-yard reception. So it wasn't like it was a... Uh, we we kept getting gashed for ginormous plays. They just chipped away. They found a way to get to us. They forced turnovers on our end, and we just played like shit. In my opinion, no reason we lose this game. Also, like I said last week, no reason why we don't blow out the Bears by at least 20 points. This team isn't living up to its expectations, its potential, just like the Yankees. They shot themselves in the foot, and similar to our pitching staff, Phillip Rivers is not putting us in good positions to win games. And similar to the Yankees, once again, coaching staff not helping us offensively. Terrible play calling, terrible reasons behind a lot of things in terms of uh, decision making, uh, substitutions. I just personnel groupings. I, I don't know what's going on in Indy. I don't know if Frank fell and hit his head somewhere in the OTAs, somewhere in the offseason. But this does not look like my coach from last season or the season prior to that because he is just making calls to make me further question his judgment and that is something I've never done as long as he's been on this team always been an offensive guru always found ways to make it work offensively again last season was a shit show of a season with Jacoby not being able to realize read defenses find the open man even if it was slapped right in front of him but we we made it work we won the games that we won and we were in a lot of games that we just ended up losing because of our own stupidity but again We have a veteran quarterback that likes to push it down the field. We have a guy that likes to complete a big percentage of his passes. We like a guy that can manage and control the game. We already have a good line. We already have great running backs, minus Marlon getting hurt. We have a solid to decent wide receiver core. To me, that's probably our weakest department. We have a great tight end group in Jack Doyle, Trey Burton, and Mo Cox, who's come out this season. We have the league's top defense before this game. Still, some some would say probably the best defense. If Darius Leonard plays this game, who knows what happens? Maybe it's even better, or maybe it's worse. I, I have no concept, but it's it's just the point of we're doing more with less, and we are losing games. We lost to the Jags week one. Fine, I've gotten over it. No, I haven't. I'm lying to myself. Technically, we should be four and one as well. That's besides the point. We need to get it together. We need to figure out what it is that we're doing because if we continue to play football the way we're playing football, we are going to be embarrassed later in the year when we play Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Ben Roethlisberger, and of course, you know, Derek Carr and then Ryan Tannehill twice. So this isn't over. This year is far from over. Can we still make the playoffs? Absolutely. Are we going to bench Phillip Rivers? Absolutely not. Although I did say I wish we would. That was out of frustration. I know that he's 10 times better than Jacoby Brissett. But it's like I said, next week we got the Bengals, who have proven they can be a tough out 
Obviously, I don't think they're going to be a tough out to our defense. Hopefully, we get Darius back next week. So I think that we're going to be able to put a little bit of a beating on them. Hopefully, have a confidence booster game. No disrespect to any Bengals fans out there. I just don't think that this team can compete with ours. But again, if our offense decide to do what the fuck we did last week, we might shit the bed and just hand the ball over to freaking Joe Burrow and say, here, throw four touchdowns. Because we just, we don't deserve to win. The Lions have showed they're a gritty team. They're, they're the week after our bye. Then we have, we have to go into Baltimore. Or no, they come to us. Lamar comes to us. One of the league's best rushing defenses in ourselves. So I hope we can contain him, but I would not be surprised. We've always struggled with mobile quarterbacks. Then we have Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, if they ever go over this whole COVID situation. Then we have Aaron Rodgers comes to our house, who is probably the best quarterback in football right next to Patrick Mahomes and the only quarterback that hasn't thrown an interception this season. Another stat fact for you. Trying to make up here one by one by one. And then after that, legit within a three-week span, we see Deshaun Watson twice. So I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're looking. I, I'm, I'm scared because we should be... 5-0 oh right now. There's no reason why Phillip Rivers throws those two interceptions in Jacksonville. There's no reason why he throws these two interceptions in Cleveland. 5-0, and oh, walking into a Bengals game, this should be a very nice, smooth 6-0 and oh, slide into a bye. Because we were in each and every one of those games that we lost. Zero reason why we should be the record that we are. But we are. Gotta have confidence, gotta have poise. We need to run the football. We need to run the football. Frank, please, coach, if you can hear me, let's run the ball. Because when we run the ball, we have success. There's no reason why Jonathan Taylor, at 22 years old, should have less than 20 to 25 touches in a football game. There's no reason Philip Rivers should be having 35-plus attempts per game unless we're genuinely from behind the entire way because our defense fell asleep every series because our defense keeps us in every series. We may not be getting pressure on the quarterback, but our secondary, our linebacking core, we're doing what we need to do to keep us in the games. Special teams, we ran a kickoff for a touchdown back. That was the first time in a couple of years. That's great, but we need more. We need production. We need consistency. And it starts with coaching, and it's followed by Phillip. So if either of you feel like showing up next week, it would literally be greatly appreciated. Because if we lose to the Cincinnati Bengals and we go 3-3 three and three going into this bye, I literally might lose my mind. And I might get banned from all social media. Because the things I'm going to be saying to you guys are ridiculous. Because this team is so good that when we lose to shit teams, I can't even focus. I can't even begin to think right. So let's find a way, get it together. You and the Yankees, the Yankee season's over. I got to let that go, although it is very hard. You guys need to get it together. You guys got to figure it out. And that's it. Gators lost to Texas A&M. I believe that score was 41 to 38. We were the fourth ranked team in the country. Texas A&M wasn't even ranked at the time, and we just, I, <laughs> I don't even know, I, I mean, I've been saying it, shout out to my boy Nathaniel, or should I say Nate, nasty Nate, my dog, um, we, we failed to perform once again, we just did not want to play on defense we did not feel the reason or the need to show up we 
completely collapsed at every possible situation that we had and we did not succeed because there was no reason why we lose to this 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 Texas A&M team there was literally no reason why we did not finish the game the way that we did and there's no reason why we could not stop a common cold because I'm looking at Kyle Trask, I'm looking at Kyle Pitts, I'm looking at Cordarius Tony, and I'm looking at our offense, and I'm saying, oh my God, this is probably the best offense we've had in years. And then we go and lose to Texas A&M on, not prime time, but, you know, just we didn't at all perform. And I don't know what the hell's going on here because I can't find the score. Thank you very much for whatever reason. This fucking computer, man. Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm cursing so much. I don't know what happened. Kyle had a great game. I mean, 3-12, four touchdowns. We lost the game, obviously, by a field goal. But once again, our defense could not stop anything. Mon went out there and he had 338 and three touchdowns for Texas A&M. So again, their offense looked prolific their offense looked like it couldn't be stopped their offense just looked like it was un, un, unguardable and that's not the case we lost a lot of defensive starters between graduation the NFL draft COVID opt-outs I mean you name it every, every school is suffering right now there weren't a lot of warm-ups there weren't a lot of OTAs there wasn't a lot of practice but that that's not what a number four team in the country is supposed to do oh excuse me they were ranked they were 21st in the country last week probably a lot higher but like I was telling my boy Nate, this team does not deserve to be ranked as high as it is merely because this defense is that bad. And I said it earlier in the year. I said that I feel that this offense is unfortunately wasted because this offense came much later. I would have preferred this offense fire on these amount of cylinders or you know fire on all cylinders at this point in the season last year because then maybe we would have beaten LSU. You know what I'm saying? Then maybe we could have competed with Georgia offensively because the way that we're playing offensively right now is great. Kyle Trask is in the freaking conversation for Heisman. Again, we're only three weeks in, but it's the point. That's how good he's playing. That's how good Kyle Pitts is playing. Arguably, again, the best tight end in football. So I, I don't know what we're going to do going forward because in each game there is no reason why the teams that we did beat scored as much as they did in old miss and who else did we freaking play i just old and south carolina old miss had 35 south carolina had 24 texas a&m had 41 like <laughs> i don't know what's going on and of course as i open espn i see here that gator Football has been paused due to COVID outbreak with five positive tests. And Florida falls to 10 overall. Still, to me, that's way too high. We have too many good teams in the SEC that are just out there dominating. I called LSU struggling. So I did not see LSU doing anything positive whatsoever this season when they lost their entire, their entire juggernaut of an offense and defense. So them losing to Mississippi... Not a surprise. Or Missouri. Excuse me. I apologize. So it, it just, I, I'm not as in-depth in college football as I am in the NFL. And I genuinely am still learning a lot about college. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm sitting here just trying to keep up. 
and I'm trying to learn as, as much as I go because obviously college players are recycled, not recycled, but are kind of up and down and utilized in different ways because of ineligibility, between practices, between, you know, declaring for the draft and whatever have you. So it's just a matter of, I think that this team is good. I feel that we have a lot of talent. I feel that we have a lot of promise, but unfortunately, you know, with the the year that's going on, I, I don't think that we're going to go anywhere. I think that LSU is going to be angry next week, and I think that they are going to find a way to take it out on us. Um, I We got Georgia in two weeks. I think UGA is going to completely obliterate us because our defense, like I said, cannot do anything. I hope we absolutely shit on Arkansas because Felipe Franks is on that team, and that's where he decided to transfer after he rightfully lost his job to Kyle Trask. Then we got to go to Vandy. Then we got to play Kentucky, who always plays us tough. And then the rivalry to end the season at Tennessee, who is playing very good this season. So I would not be surprised if Florida falls to be lower than the top 20, if not out of the rankings, because of how bad this defense is. If Mullen doesn't change what's going on, if we don't get more aggressive, if we don't start playing better coverages, if we don't get to the quarterback, I don't know how we will win. In a competitive conference, the most competitive conference in the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, I don't, I really, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. So I, I just, we got to step it up. We got to figure it out. We got to understand what's going on. And all three of my teams need to fucking get this shit together, man. It, it was such a frustrating weekend to go from Friday the Yankees losing to Saturday the Gators losing to Sunday the Colts losing. <sighs> I mean, on on a good note, Rafa Nadal won his 13th French Open title. So congratulations to the King of Clay, the Lefty Madness, the Babylon King, the the goat of the clay court. Kudos to you, Bid Dog. I emulate your game. I love how you play. I love watching you. You're an incredible, incredible tennis player, one of the best to ever pick up a racket. So shout out to you if you ever hear this, which I highly doubt you will. But, you know, maybe in the future we can laugh about it and have a drink. Probably not, once again. But, you know, I try to aim high. Um, sliding over into the NBA, the NBA Finals have concluded. Once again, as I called, the LA Lakers beat the Miami Heat in six games in a very, very convincing and dominant win over the Miami Heat in Game 6. And LeBron James takes home his fourth NBA championship and his fourth Finals MVP. So, what do I have to say about it? What do I have to say about it? It really depends. Does it solidify LeBron James as the greatest player of all time? I don't think so. I'm not going to get in to said debate because now is not the time for that. I am going to say that LeBron James has solidified himself as the top two best players in the NBA. I believe that LeBron James with this convincing performance of, what was it, 28, 10, and 14, a finals triple-double, what is it, his 11th or 12th, another statistic for you guys in finals history, he did what he needed to do, dominated on all sides of the, on all sides of the floor, he played good D, scored when they needed it, facilitated, rebounded, he was the best player on the court that day, and... You know, I'm really happy for certain players on this team to go and get a ring. Although Danny Green, being from North Carolina, does make him a personal favorite of mine. He played absolutely atrocious in the finals and missed the game-winning shot in Game 5 to win them the series in the Black Mama jerseys. 
he gets his third ring. Uh, Dwight Howard gets his first ring. I am very happy for Dwight, him going through everything that he's gone, the carousel of teams toward the end of his career, battling injury, going through the scandal that he did. He gets a championship ring. Rajon Rondo playing phenomenal. Him getting 4-4 and 19. He gets a, he gets a uh, his second ring, and he is the one of two players to win with both historic franchises in the Boston Celtics and the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, Catavius Caldwell-Pope, yay, I guess, maybe. Jared Dudley, he ain't doing anything all season. Quinn Cook, he gets his third ring in the last four years, so good for you, I guess. <laughs> I Like I said, I mean, there's certain... Alex Caruso, his story is great. Undrafted Texas A&M basketball, working his way through the practice squad, up and down in the G League, coming into the starting rotation. And him doing what he needs to do on the defensive end, on the rebounding end, facilitating. He just all around a good role player. Nobody that's going to blow up a stat sheet. No one that's going to do something crazy like pull up from half court like Steph and splash in your face. He definitely does have slept on height. Or should I say slept on bunnies because that man can't jump out the gym. Um, Anthony Davis went out there and he did his thing 15-19. and 19. He wins his first championship. The whole reason why they assembled together in L.A., the whole reason why that supposed terrible trade happened the Lakers obviously won that trade handedly you get one of the top five players in the entire NBA you get rid of a questionable draft pick and Lonzo Ball you get rid of a promising now Brandon Ingram send them over to LA or should I say send them over to New Orleans send over Josh Hart the first the the first and the third piece first being Lonzo third being Josh Hart irrelevant to me I mean you really only lost out of that Brandon Ingram but he would have never fit in that system with Braun and AD doing what they needed to do in my opinion I think they need to get rid of Kyle Kuzma because he was pretty useless throughout the postseason in my opinion from the Laker games that I did tune into overconfidence couldn't get out of couldn't stay out of foul trouble terrible in clutch situations I mean he did hit that game winner in one of the series or in the bubble or something like that for confidence but I mean other than that Kyle Kuzma just did not perform up to his expectations so I believe that this will be his only hardware unless he goes to another contender and does something else drastically to improve again these are all my hot takes on what's going to be happening but you know the Lakers won that game 106-93 and that does not show for a lot of the garbage points that the Miami Heat did put up in garbage time they put up 35 in the fourth the game was almost at a 40 point clip where the Lakers were up, I think, 36 or 38 points. The Miami Heat, you can see the wear and tear. They just could not continue. Jimmy was tired. Duncan was tired. Bam was exhausted. But they grinded. They fought. Jimmy Butler, he had 12, 8, and 7. I mean, Bam was doing everything in his power with 25, 5, and 10. Tyler Hero just could not show up. Kendrick Nunn could not show up. Shout out to Goran Dragic for playing 19 minutes in the NBA Finals Game 6 with a torn fascia in his foot. Shout out to Goran Dragic. I'm going to say it again. At 34, 35 years old, this man basically played with one foot, put up five rebounds, five points, two assists. It's not a lot, but you try playing with one foot let alone at the highest intense level of an NBA championship run, trying to keep his team on the brink, off the brink of elimination and force a game seven. Andre Iguodala, utterly useless, zero points, one board. Solomon Hill, once again, only had two minutes, so I'm not even going to get into him. Kendrick Nunn, his minutes, like I said, were taken away by Drogic. He had eight, three, and one. 
Tyler Hero, the sensation in the Eastern Conference Finals, the guy that everybody called the walking bucket, a guy that I called the walking bucket. 3-4-7, and seven. not impressive. Duncan Robinson, only a few shots in 34 minutes. He only had 10 points. Like I said, the the Heat just couldn't keep up. They were they were gassed. All of these games and all of the minutes that the teams accumulated between the entire postseason run that they went on and the lack of rest, I think it just, you know, I think it really caught up because the, the Heat just came out flat. They couldn't hit shots. They couldn't defend. The Lakers were consistently on a fast break pace. They were scoring uncontrollably at certain times. The barrage of, of threes and, and, like I said, fast breaks and the turnovers on the Heat's portion. I just have no idea what happened. The Lakers must have been absolutely livid that they lost Game 5. Probably upset that they lost in the Mamba jerseys as well. Braun came in there locked and ready to go. And he said, guys, that's it. Putting y'all on my back. Let's, let's go win a championship. I'm very excited to know that the season is over because that means that we can get into NBA free agency. I am very curious to see where Giannis Antetokounmpo goes. Uh, the Mavericks came out today, a beat reporter for the Mavs. I don't exactly remember who or where the source came from, but there is a source saying that the Mavericks will heavily pursue Giannis Antetokounmpo and make him their number one priority this offseason. I absolutely, positively do not want this whatsoever. I do not want Giannis on this basketball team. The amount of assets we are going to have to give up to get him is going to be too much and it is going to hurt us more than help us because we already know superstars that leave their team to come to another team only do small incremental deals. If Giannis leaves, he'll play the season out. If he comes to Dallas, best case scenario, he'll sign maybe a two-year extension. And by that time, it's win or go home. And Giannis just, I don't know if he fits into the system. Giannis is a very ball-dominant player. And with KP already there, KP, you know, get well soon. You had your meniscus surgery, surgery that I knew was coming at the end of the year when you left the Clipper series. I don't know how that is going to mesh. KP at the 5, Giannis at the 4, Luka at the 1, Tim Hardaway Jr. if he resigns at the 2, maybe Seth Curry at the 2, Dorian Finney-Smith at the 3, Dwight Powell coming off the bench. I don't know. On paper, it sounds great. But again, since Giannis is still under contract with the Bucks, we are going to need to give up capital. And we already gave the Knicks our last two first-round picks. We gave the Knicks Dennis Smith Jr., which ended up, once again, we won that trade. There is no question. But... I don't know. I don't know what our situation is. I don't think that it's going to be feasible for us to go and trade our entire team for one player who can't even shoot. Is he one of the most dominant players in the NBA? Absolutely. Is he back-to-back MVP? Yes. I just don't know if he fits in our system. I think he would be best fit for a Golden State team where he can be that one player that anchors the paint, play the four or the five, and do what he needs to do. I think that he would be a great fit in Miami to help them get over the hump so it doesn't all have to be on Jimmy, so he doesn't have to play 47 minutes in Game 5, which he only had, I think, about 48 seconds of rest that entire game. So the NBA season concludes. There's a lot of question marks looming, like I had stated, in regards to players going certain places. If Anthony Davis does resign in L.A., I I don't know. I'm excited because that means that we're inching closer. I believe that they said January would be a restart, which gives players at least two and a half months to recuperate because Lord knows they need it. Um, The NBA had zero positive COVID tests throughout the entire 
formation of the bubble. Shout out to Adam Silver. Shout out to the NBA BP, the NBA P, NBA PA or MBPA NBA Players Association. I said that wrong like seventeen times. I'm so sorry. They found a way to make an environment safe. They maintained it. They kept it safe, and it worked. The MLB should have done that. Now them doing this bubble out there in San Diego and LA or wherever the hell they are right now. It's a little too late. Maybe you guys could have prevented some of these outbreaks, but it is what it is. Hopefully they set a standard for all future sports as long as COVID exists that this method worked. This definitely did attribute to successful ideology of going forward for sporting events. And, you know, hopefully we can see this be a success in the future because we don't know how long COVID is going to be here. The way that this is all going, it could definitely very well be into 2022. But we all know that COVID is still going to be very much still around come next NBA season, which would be at the end of December, beginning of January, whenever they finally agree to do that. So, I mean, I don't know. I The only reason I am slightly upset now because... Sports are now coming to an end. Obviously, the NFL is still in full swing. College football just started. It's in full swing. But baseball's done. Basketball's done. Two of my favorite sports. As I've explained, I'm already frustrated with the Colts and frustrated with the Gators. So it just seems like another season of long headaches as a sports fan for me in my house. Uh, shout out to my little brother. Been a Laker fan since birth. He was not happy with the acquisition of LeBron James. He firmly believed that trading those three players made the team worse. He has since slightly changed his tone, maybe, hopefully. I look at my door as I hope he walks in here to look at me funny. But the Lakers won a championship. So at the end of the day, regardless of what he believes, his team is a 17-time champion. You know, the Los Angeles Lakers have tied the Celtics with 17 total championships, which is the most in the NBA, which is pretty cool, you know? So, I know he's happy at the end of the day. Surprise, surprise. I know you don't listen, but, you know, I got you a championship t-shirt. You are a pain in my ass, but you're a good kid and you rightfully deserve it. So, shout out to my brother. Uh, shout out to my boy Nick Watkins, another loyal, honest, and true Laker fan, regardless of who was going to be on that team. He followed it all the way throughout the end. He was watching when Kendall Marshall was the point guard. He was there when Wesley Wesley Johnson was there. Robert Sacre, that entire flop of a team that was there throughout Kobe's tail end of his years. R.I.P. to the Mamba. And we all know and love that he. We all know and feel that he's proud. We all love and miss you every day. And you know, shout out to the Lakers, man. It's just it was a matter of time. My boy, shout out to my boy Jared. You owe me lunch. Um, we bet that the Clippers and the Lakers would meet in the Western Conference Finals. I bet that the Lakers would come out on top. He bet the Clippers. Obviously, we know the Clippers didn't even make it. So when I get back to the office, big dog, I uh, expect to have some Wendy's at my desk. You feel me? Um, shout out to my boy Kyle. He was very in tuned with keeping up that entire series, making sure that he was following up after every single game, posting episodes, posting YouTube content. You know, like I said, very, very, very in tuned and up to date with every single stat analysis. And his personal recap on each game. So I mean, he basically worked for the media that day because he was just, he was just as on top of it. He was just as on top of that series as SportsCenter was. <laughs> so shout out to Kyle uh, Dawson. You can kiss my ass whenever you do hear this for mentioning the Yankees are sitting next to you and the Cubs on the couch. Yes, I'm well aware that we are not in the playoffs together, 
but you lost to the last seeded Miami Marlins. At the end of the day, a loss is a loss. Yes, I understand, but you lost to the Marlins and you were the number one seed in the NL. So kiss my ass. And I believe that is all for my TED Talk today. Bottom line, we got to do better <laughs> as franchises with the Colts and uh, the Gators going forward. But, you know, hopefully we have a better weekend this weekend. So appreciate you guys for coming and tuning in, and I'll be seeing you all next week. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.